0: Oh, hello, said she. Would you like to follow me? We can go
1: real slow down to where the lava lilies grow.
0: Come along. Follow me. Deep, laughing sea. Come with me, sweet thing. You're perfectly safe with me. Well, hello. This is Trudy Lee Richards with the community of Celo's Message in Portland, Oregon. And this is our second episode of our podcast on Rebelling Against Death, the Day of the Winged Lioness podcast. Today I'll be talking about an important skill, pretending. Yes, pretending, just like little children do, all day and all night, loving it and so absorbed in the pretending that it becomes their reality. I consider pretending an essential skill for all death rebels, partly because playfulness in any form confuses death no end. But before we get into that, I want to clarify something from last time about something one of our listeners asked me. They enjoyed my poems and stories, they said. But what exactly do I mean by rebelling against death? I did a double take. Uh, wasn't that obvious no they said oh oops it seems that once again I've made my habitual mistake of assuming that others have the same point of view I do and will naturally understand me so better late than never let me explain it's pretty simple by rebelling against death I just mean being fully alive in every moment So no matter how much doom and gloom or frenzy there is around me, no matter how much death and destruction, I can be fully present, at peace, and able to engage freely and deeply in whatever I'm doing. Helping where I can help, and where I can't, going happily on my way, unperturbed by events and situations beyond my control. Who wouldn't want to live like that? But almost none of us do. Why not? Well, I'll go out on a limb and say that what stops us is simply the fear of death. We just usually don't call it that. In our culture, death is a taboo subject. We're not supposed to talk about it or even think about it. Why would that be, unless we were so afraid of it that we just couldn't face it? So we don't talk about it. We just call it by other names, like anxiety, depression, boredom, a nameless sense of doom, a feeling of always being in a hurry. And we studiously avoid anything that makes us think of death. Why else would we hide our old people away in special homes where no one who's not yet old has to watch them die? So I suggest that if we want to be happy and free, we need to deal with our biggest fear, the fear of death. There are two ways to do that, run away or rebel. Running away is what most of us do. It's so easy. There are so many escapes, both legal and illegal, and they're part of our everyday life. All the lovely substances one can ingest, food, drink, tobacco, marijuana, all kinds of pills and injectables as well as all the online and in-person pastimes, gaming, gambling, shopping, social networking, spectator sports, extreme sports. Even going to work can be an escape and there's nothing wrong with any of these escapes unless they harm our health and they can be wonderfully relaxing. The only problem is they can't stop death from hounding our footsteps. The only way to really stop death from haunting us is to stop running, to turn around and face the monster. Scary as that might seem, it isn't really that hard. Anyone can do it. And once you get used to it, it's both liberating and very enjoyable. The simplest way is to just appreciate living. That means switching gears intentionally. We've been taught that we're helpless, that we can only be happy in happy circumstances. But that, in my experience, is not true. Being happy, feeling joy and peace can indeed happen to us out of the blue by accident. But we can also do it on purpose, which is great news because none of us want to be victims. A great way to start is by just feeling grateful. Thinking of something, anything that you're grateful for. It just puts you in a different place. Another way is to just pay attention. Pay attention to what you're doing. Lots of meditation systems tell us to follow our breath. And that does indeed work. It works wonders. But if you get distracted easily like I do, it might be easier to just do something that brings you joy, something that makes being in the moment more compelling. It doesn't have to be a big thing, something splashy or time-consuming. It could just be as simple as cooking a meal for a friend or smiling at someone from behind your COVID mask. Silo calls it loving the reality you build. My favorite example is an old lady that I met lived to well over a hundred and was almost always cheerful and peaceful. She wasn't wealthy or even particularly lucky. She was the single mother of a very large family. She'd survived all her life and supported her children by taking in washing and cleaning houses. When someone asked her when she was very old what the secret of her happiness was, she said, I always love what I do. Not, I do what I love, but I love what I do. She'd flipped a certain switch in her brain. That, in a nutshell, is what I mean by rebelling against death. In this podcast, I'll be sharing my personal experience, how I do it, but I'll also be talking with other people about how they do it. And since there are as many ways to rebel against death as there are people, we'll never run out of material. I hope that clarifies the matter a little. Now I'd like to move on to today's topic, that essential skill for rebelling against death, pretending. For starters, here's a little song a friend of mine and I made up.
1: Oh my god, just look what I found in this closet under all the dust, the most enormous octopus! Oh help me please, it's alive and it's gonna reach out and grab me, and that will be the end of me! But wait! She's looking at me, could it be, she's just a person, just almost human, like me. Speak English, I ask, how about a bite to eat? Don't be scared of me, I'm just a human being. We can go get some coffee and some nice raw meat, cause everyone knows that's what octopi eat. Oh yes, she says with a happy little beep, so off we go together as friendly as can be so the next time you meet someone scary in your dreams just speak to them softly cause nothing's ever what it seems
0: so pretending Children, of course, are masters of pretending. I love to listen to them exploring their inner worlds. They're so absorbed, so full of innocence and curiosity, their voices lilting with delight. Let's pretend I'm a scary monster and you're a little mouse. Let's pretend you're the mother and I'm the baby. Let's pretend we're flying to the moon. Of course, as we grow older, We get too self-conscious to pretend out in the open. Somehow we feel compelled to present a rational facade to the world, so we relegate our pretending to the background, to our dreams and our private fantasies. But our imagination never really stops working, which is lucky because it's a wonderful and powerful tool. Like any tool, the imagination can be used for or against life. The against part is easy. Our culture is constantly dangling all its tempting escapes before us. Buy this new car, wear this designer label, swallow this pill, get lost in this online
1: maze.
0: If you get hypnotized enough, life will be so comfortable and so cozy that it will roll right over you, squash your intentionality flat, and you won't even feel anything. Not that there's anything wrong with escape in moderation. At the end of the day, I love to escape into a movie or a good book, but mostly I try to dedicate as much time as possible to intentional pretending. It's just as easy as escaping and a lot more fun and fulfilling. I often start before I get out of bed in the morning when I'm half asleep and shreds of dreams are still floating around my awareness. It's like fishing. I dangle my hook, and if I'm lucky, a juicy image will bite, and I haul it in, and a poem is born. Pretending is a wonderful skill that is necessary not only for poets, but for any death rebel. Because when we dare face death, it stares us back in the face with such devastating realism that the only way we can possibly hope to conquer it is to pretend it's not real. Pretend we will never really die, and pretend so hard that transcendence becomes our reality. That trick is sometimes called faith. Some say pretending is okay for children, but when adults indulge in it in any form, whether as faith in transcendence or any other frivolous belief or pastime not grounded in the material plane, then it's delusional. I say, on the contrary, that true pretending is what puts us in touch with the deepest reality there is, the inner reality we all come from, which Silo called the profound. That's why faith is so powerful. Let me tell you the story of how I learned to really pretend. More than 30 years ago, after I'd been running away from death for pretty much my whole adult life, I found myself cornered. I'd tried every escape in the book, but to no avail, and now it had me trapped with no way out. I was desperate, overcome with terror, until luck, or destiny, led me to some friends who taught me how to pretend for real. That was what saved me, pretending in a very humble way, but pretending so hard that it became my reality. It was the Orwellian year of 1984, and I was a young mother raising two-year-old twins. My marriage was lukewarm, but I was head over heels in love, not so much with my husband as with our little ones, because for the first time in my life, I knew what it was to love someone else more than I loved myself. This was not without its problems. My adoration of our babies had absolutely taken over my life. They were so fragile, anything could happen to them. We lived in a third floor apartment and I had regular nightmares about the place burning down and having to drop the babies out the window one by one for the firemen to catch. I was afraid of everything, fire, kidnapping, automobile accidents, poison toadstools. But my biggest fear was the bomb those were the days of the cold war and i knew the bomb could drop at any moment if that happened and i knew it really could i would have to watch helpless as my beloved babies burned to death screaming before my very eyes the very thought plunged me into the most visceral horror and i knew that should such a thing actually happen would hurl me into the depths of hell, far deeper than the blackest despair of my lonely past before I found love in my little ones. Even if my body survived such an unthinkable event, the rest of me would surely be lost forever. I was waiting for the bus one evening after work when the miracle happened. I'd been staring into the fog, mesmerized by my forebodings, when something luminous on a lamppost caught my eye in the gloom. It was a poster with the drawing of a dove taking wing and the words, Peace is possible, it's up to you, underneath. At the bottom was a phone number. Riveted, I couldn't stop staring at that glowing image, drinking in its wonderful message. Peace is possible, it's up to you. Of course, that couldn't really be true. But what if it was? Even the tiniest chance would make it worth the risk of checking it out. My parents had always seen advertising of any sort as the spawn of the materialism devil, so I'd always tried never to respond to it. But this time, I just couldn't help myself. I jotted down the number. When I got home that evening, I called the number. And a few days later, there I was having coffee with a man named Homer who explained to my incredulous ears that yes, of course we can change things. His ebullient certainty bowled me over. The following weekend, I went to the street with Homer and his pregnant wife, Mary, to talk to strangers about peace and nonviolence. As Homer had explained, we were joining the ranks of thousands of volunteers all around the world who were working for peace and nonviolence, following the proposals of a man from Argentina named Silo. The idea was that if enough of us believed things could change, and if we acted accordingly, being true to ourselves, and treating others as we wanted to be treated, the real world would begin to change in that same positive direction. It didn't take long things did change, utterly, not in the outside world, but inside me. One morning, only a few days after I'd begun volunteering on the street, I woke up feeling different, as if something were missing, as if an enormous weight had been lifted, a weight that had been crushing me all my life. For a moment, I was at a loss but suddenly it hit me and I knew what it was. It was as simple as it was unbelievable. I was no longer afraid. Astonished and delighted, I felt like the sun had come out after endless years of gloomy weather. Gone was the pall of dread that had hung over me for so long, covering the future with a shadow of agonizing loss. Now the future fairly glowed wide open and bright with gentle optimism filled with endless possibility and the warmth of friendship of course i eventually came down the euphoria wearing off like any high my fear hadn't completely disappeared even today i still worry about bad things happening to my family and to the world but never again since then have i been so submerged in fear that i could not see the light of day So that's my story. That's how I became this raving lunatic who only wants to laugh and play and sing and spout poetry. Nice, you might say, but what does that have to do with pretending? Again, everything. Because from the very beginning of my new optimism, I knew we were only pretending. Obviously, a few nutcases scattered across the globe, talking to strangers about peace we were never going to dislodge the cruel stranglehold of the military-industrial complex. We all still had every reason to be utterly afraid. Just reading the news on any day of the week, any sensible person should by rights crawl into the darkest corner they can find, groveling in fear. Of course, I knew intellectually that the world was still a disaster. I hadn't suddenly lost my sense of proportion I knew the world was still on the brink of exploding, but it didn't matter because my playmates and I were pretending so hard that this new nonviolent world was our inner reality. It still is today, we've never stopped playing, trying to make our inner reality an outer reality we all share, which is not as silly as it might sound. Every intentional change in the outside world starts with an idea and all ideas are born inside us. Hmm, you might say, you might be having a great old time in fantasy land, but in case you haven't noticed, things in the real world are arguably way worse today than they were three decades ago. Well, that depends on your point of view, but that's not what I wanna talk about today. That's a whole other episode or 20. What I want to talk about is the practical value of pretending. Pretending sincerely with all your being because you love what you're pretending. And that's the only thing you can do to be true to yourself. When you do that, when you really pretend, it changes something deep inside you and inside everyone who's joining you in making such delicious pie in the sky. The so-called real world may remain as cold and unappetizing as ever, But together, you and all your fellow pretend pastry chefs can actually taste your new creation and ooh and ah over how scrumptious it is and discuss whether perhaps it still needs maybe a dash of salt or just a bit more sugar. Incredibly, it turns out that this pretend food is wonderfully nutritious. Not only does its very taste revive you and fill you with life, but all the ingredients are packed to the gills with nutrients. Where before in your undernourished state, all you could do was lie prostrate, trying not to let your fears squash you flat. Just one helping of sky pie fills you with courage and the energy to act, to live, to smile, to laugh, to imagine remarkable and unheard of solutions that might even one day become physical reality. Because pretending is not only encouraging, inspiring, and enlivening, it actually opens the door to real change in the material world because it helps us relax and focus enough to see the little openings where we can do something good and useful, however small, even if it's only to smile at a stranger or lend your ear to someone in distress. That's why I'm here today talking into this microphone in this empty room, imagining you out there, whoever and wherever you are. That's why I dare to make a fool of myself, rhapsodizing about how nice it is to splash about in this lovely water, the water of true pretending. So I invite you, here and now, to give it a try. Just think of the way you really want the world to be, and pretend that we can make it so if we pretend together with all our heart and soul and being, pretending as hard and as joyfully as we possibly can, sharing those joyful images with each other, we will give birth to a new reality, a healthy, happy new reality that cannot help radiating outward for sheer irrepressibility, finding more and more ways to manifest in the world. Because it comes from that deep place within us, the place of the deepest reality there is. And this bouncy new reality will touch the hearts and minds of more and more of the countless human beings who have just been waiting, dispirited, for something to come along that makes their life worth living. So that's what this is about, touching people to the quick, making them laugh and smile, snapping them out of discouragement, waking up something inside them, Something we all share, whether we know it or not. The joy of helping others. The joy of saying, yes, a new world is possible. And let's all make it up together as we go along. Phew, so that's my rant. I didn't know it was going to turn into a rant or come out quite like that, but anything can happen when you throw yourself into pretending and just let go of control. I'd like to conclude this episode by reading a poem about pretending, pretending in the best possible way. This poem was born in the middle of the pandemic. It's called The Great 21st Century Poemic. It struck one day out of the blue, cropping up all at once in random spots all across the planet. The first known cases were a small boy in Lincoln, Nebraska, whom his mother found one morning reciting strange and beautiful words, a small smile on his small face. And a grandmother in Melbourne, Australia, who was caught that very same day wandering the aisles of a department store, reciting verses from the Tang Dynasty. After that, the poemic spread lickety-split leaping like lightning across whole continents and oceans. In London, a mother of six woke up spouting Tennyson, and in no time her entire family was babbling in iambic pentameter. In Buenos Aires, a family was stricken with the odes of Pindar in the original Greek. In Beijing, a whole neighborhood was infested with Billy Collins. And so it went. How the poemic was able to spread itself so far and wide, so fast, no one knew. At first it was thought to be passed simply through the spoken word, but soon infectious particles were discovered hitching rides on sound waves in rays of sunlight and even nestled in random thoughts. Scientists also knew that however it flew It was always spewing out more and more spores that would land, take hold, and grow anywhere. It was only a matter of time before the entire economy of the world had settled into a deathly peaceful lull. In the factories, no one stood on the assembly lines. In the banks, no one begged for loans, and no one doled them out. In the schools, no one taught the state curriculum and no one was bored day after day everyone everywhere simply dreamt the time away to the murmured declamation of immortal poetry both ancient and new. Everyone assumed that soon the infection would burn itself out and things would go back to normal but instead the poemic only settled in with a happy gurgle sinking its teeth deep into the tender underbelly of the human genome. And so it went for days and weeks and months and years. Suffice it to say that to this day no victim has ever recovered. This is perhaps a loss for history, but all things considered, no one seems to be complaining. Because after the first onslaught, things began to change in quite unobjectionable ways. People began to go about their days speaking in poetry and fixing things, and before long, no one was going hungry, no one was left out in the cold, no one sick was left uncared for, no one old was forgotten, no one sad was ignored, and no one anywhere was afraid of dying lonely and alone. Instead, people sang while they made soup, and someone was always baking cookies. Farmers smiled at their cows and hummed while they fertilized their fields. Scientists stopped scorning testimonies of life after death. Physicians healed by laying on of hands. Chemists formulated harmless potions that dissolved pain. Teachers led children into the fields to study bugs and flowers and wade in streams and catch pollywogs. Young people studied what they loved and got paid in poems. That was how it happened that people stopped hurting each other and simply did what needed to be done. And when the time came for rest, they sat together on porches and admired the way the dust motes danced in the rays of the sun. And little by little, in every place, every last member of the human race began to wake up each day with a smile on their face, happy and peaceful in every way, for no rational reason at all. May it be so. That concludes the second episode of the Day of the Winged Lioness podcast. It's been lovely imagining you out there listening. If you'd like to try your hand at some personal, in-depth, practical pretending, you're invited to join us on Zoom at one of our weekly Cilos message play dates. Who knows, you might just meet some great new playmates. To get in touch for that or any other reason, just drop us a line at wingedlion at gmail.com. That's W-I-N-G-E-D-L-I-O-N, all one word, at gmail.com. If you'd like a transcript of this episode or any other, or would like to explore more creative work by friends of the community of CELO's message worldwide, please visit wingedlionpress.org. That's not Winged Lioness Press. This podcast is the Day of the Winged Lioness, but the website is Winged Lion Press. That's Winged Lion Press, W-I-N-G-E-D-L-I-O-N-P-R-E-S-S, all one word, no punctuation, dot org. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful month, and see you next time. said she. Would you like... To
1: follow me we can go real slow
0: down to where the lava lilies
1: grow. Come along, follow me. Me, sweet thing,
0: you're perfectly safe with me.